Hey everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited to be back here. You may not know this. Uh, we are one church in many locations. Uh, we have a location here in North Chatham and Alex Kirk, who's our lead pastor, is usually here with us. And we have a location down south of the hall in Pittsburgh at Chatham Mills, and I'm usually with the folks there. And we have a group of people who join us online. And if you're online today, good morning. I'm so glad you're with us. Every once in a while, Alex and I have the habit of switching campuses so that I get a chance to be here up north of the hall and he gets a chance to be down south with the folks at Pittsburgh. And it's been a while since I've been with y'all, so there are many new faces. I'm so glad uh, to see you. And if this happens to be your first Sunday, please come back next week and, and get a chance to meet Alex. He's a great person and I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know him. I have a group of friends that uh, comes over regularly to my house to play board games. And I have a particularly large collection of board games which means that I'm often uh, teaching games. The, often the games that I'm pulling out are games that folks haven't played, whether some or all of them haven't played them. So I'm often explaining the rules. And I kind of have a way that I start explaining the rules. I always say something like, the game is blank. And I'll say the name of the game. And then I'll say, and the goal of the game is to win. Now, you may think that, that uh, that's a rather obvious statement. I mean, isn't the goal of every game to win? Well, it's not. And I learned that the hard way. Years ago, I was at a work retreat that the supervisor of the team I was on had organized for myself and for my colleagues. And, you know, during the retreat, we did team building exercises. We had strategy conversations, the normal stuff that you'd expect at a work retreat of that nature. And it was an overnight retreat. So as the evening started to sort of come upon us after we had dinner, our supervisor pulled out a board game. And the name of the game was Quelf. And this is a game where as you move around the board, you answer trivia, perform silly stunts, you mime, you act, you dance. And sometimes you land on spaces that change the rules of the game. They, they give you ridiculous rules to follow, like acting like a pirate when you speak or knocking on the table before you chime in. I wanted to win because the goal of the game is to win, or so I thought. So I started to pay attention when folks landed on rule changes and what the rule was. And I would watch them. And whenever they would sort of slip up on a rule, I would call them out because that would send them back and that would improve my chances of winning. And so as the game progressed, I was more and more calling people out when they missed the rule. And I was advancing further, further ahead. And I was enjoying myself on my way to victory. And I looked around the table and I realized that I was killing the mood. See, I didn't realize that the goal of Quelf isn't to win. The goal of Quelf is to have fun. The goal of Quelf is to be silly. I was so set on winning, so focused on it, that I kind of ruined the experience for all of my colleagues. Have you ever had a moment where you've gotten so laser focused on something that you've missed the point? That everything has slipped by? It could happen to anyone. We can be so focused on one thing that we miss the whole point of the experience. Can you remember the last time that happened to you? Maybe you remember the aftermath, the regret you felt when you realized that you missed out on something. Or maybe you remember feeling confused when everyone around you seemed to be upset at you. Kind of like what happened to me when I was playing that game. Kind of like what happened to me at the, as I was playing that game. We can miss key moments when we're focused on one thing and it happens to be the wrong thing. 
We can miss key moments in relationships. We can end up missing out on key life experiences of the people we love. Sometimes we can miss good collaboration with colleagues when we become so task-driven or achievement-oriented. Sometimes we even cheat ourselves of rest or health or the things that we need. How many of you have been so focused on making sure the packing list was right and you got everything in the suitcase before you headed out on vacation that it took you three days to actually relax because you were so focused on the wrong thing. There are even times where we can miss out on the story God is telling in our lives and in the lives of those around us when we focus on the wrong thing. During this season of Lent, as we head towards Easter, we've been in a series that we've titled Step Into the Story. For over 2,000 years, people have been stepping into the life-giving story with Jesus, the story of life with Jesus. In the accounts we have of Jesus' life, he shows us the story he's telling, not just for himself, but the story he's telling for all of humanity. It's a story of love. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of an eternity of goodness. It's a story that he invites us into, not just once, but over and over again. And it's one that we risk missing. It's one we risk missing even key moments of when our focus is on the wrong place or when our focus is on the wrong thing. And in those moments, God doesn't just let us be out of focus. He doesn't just let our focus drift. He catches our attention and he invites us to refocus. And that need, that invitation for refocus is, is embedded all over the passage that Greg so masterfully, so masterfully laid out for us. As we engage in it this morning, may we catch that Jesus invites us to adjust the focus as we step into his story. He invites us to adjust that focus so that we can experience the fullness of the story he's telling for us. The story he invites us into. The story of redemption the story of love, the story of lasting goodness. It's the story that you and I were made to be part of, and it's the story that we can't afford to miss. The passage in John 9 that Greg read for us might as well be titled Adventures in Missing the Point. Because it feels like everyone other than Jesus, and maybe the man who was healed, is missing the point of what Jesus is doing. They seem to be focused on something other than what Jesus is focused on. And it starts right at the beginning. Right at the beginning when Jesus notices a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked, who sinned? This man or his parents? Their question comes from a place of, of, of a belief that was held in that time where, where things like this, this, this blindness, stemmed from either a person's own misdeeds or sin, or they were, they were a sign of God's judgment for generational stuff, for stuff that had been coming down through generations. Jesus engages the disciples in that question. He both corrects that incorrect belief, but also he redirects their attention. See, they are focused on assigning blame. They are, they are focused on attributing the source of this condition, and therefore they are failing to imagine. They are failing to imagine now what could happen now that Jesus has caught sight of this man. They are failing to imagine what is possible when Jesus enters the picture. This is what part of what Jesus, is, Jesus focuses on or stresses when, when he responds to them. What he's saying is, I'm here now. 
And him saying, I'm here now, changes the focus of the story. He's inviting them to refocus their attention towards hope. To ask not where did this come from, but what might God do here? What might God do now? How hopeful have you been feeling recently? Take stock of yourself right now, right there where you are, whether you're here or whether you're watching us at home or whether you're watching us from the future. How hopeful are you feeling right now? How hopeful have you been feeling on any given day recently? As you think about your circumstances, as perhaps you feel the weight of reality, how often do you feel buoyed in the midst of circumstances at the prospect of what God might do? What God could do? What's possible when God intervenes? In parts of Scripture, hope is spoken about as one of the three things that remain, along with faith and love. Hope changes how we participate in the story. Hope changes how we engage. It affects people. It affects how the story plays out. Things change when we turn our focus to hope and we ask, what might God do here? Archbishop Desmond Tutu lived through years of horror in apartheid South Africa. He lived through violence. He lived through pain. He lived through injustice. He lived through seeing the lack of recognition of the dignity of people simply because they looked different. It made for a very dark time, for a very long time. Now, there are many ways that, that one can participate in that story. And there were many ways that people were engaging with the story. They focused on different things throughout the time of apartheid as apartheid seemed to be coming to a close and in the days after apartheid as well. Archbishop Tutu consistently focused on hope. He advanced, he advocated for nonviolence, for nonviolent resistance resistance and opposition as apartheid was coming along. And later on, he went on to chair the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in the days after apartheid. What he sought to do in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was not to ignore the wrongs done in South Africa, but to face them, to process them as a community, and to take steps towards healing. Take steps towards healing. He did this all with a focus on hope. He would often say hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. It's not that there isn't darkness. It would be foolish of us to claim that there is no darkness. There is darkness in our world. There's darkness sometimes in our lives. There are varying degrees of that darkness in our lives now and at other times. Some of that darkness is brought on by our own actions. Some of it is because of the actions of others. Some of it is the conditions of our world. No matter how overwhelming the darkness feels, no matter how dark it gets, we are never at a loss. We are never fully abandoned. The darkness never fully consumes us because God is with us. Because God is with us. Because God is with us. And where God is, there is light. Where God is, there is a way out. There is always, what might God do here? There is always the prospect of what God might do. Maybe it's time for us to refocus. Maybe it's time to turn our attention towards hope. As the story continues, whether it's in the interactions with the man or 
uh, or, or the interactions that the man who's been healed has with his neighbors or with the Pharisees or even with his parents as they enter the picture. There's lots of stuff happening. Some want to confirm his identity. Some want to authenticate the healing. Some want to know who Jesus is. There's lots of questioning going on, but you know what's missing throughout all this story? Celebration. Celebration. Something is missing. No one seems amazed at what has happened. The incredible good that this man has experienced goes uncelebrated. It goes seemingly unnoticed. And friends, when you can't celebrate clear good in others, it's time to refocus. It's time to refocus. It's time to refocus. A man born blind can now see. That is not a big deal. That is a huge deal. That is a life-altering deal. This did not happen all the time. In fact, it happened never before Jesus. This community is now part of something miraculous, a show of miraculous goodness and blessing, and no one acknowledges it. Where's the party? Where is the party that one would expect if something like that had happened? Friends, the Jesus story is marked by goodness. It's marked by blessing. It's not that there aren't hard circumstances. There are, but they don't have the final word. Goodness and blessing have the final word. They have the lasting word. And good, the goodness and blessing of God do not come in limited amounts. They're not only offered to those who get there first and grab at it. The goodness and blessing of God don't run out. We are not competing for them. This means that when someone experiences goodness and blessing, we can celebrate unabashedly. It's part of the story. I went to a high school that was specialized in math and sciences. It was particularly hard to get in. It was a boarding school. They picked, it was a total of 150 students for four grades, ninth through 12th. So it was very selective. And you didn't, you weren't guaranteed re-entry every year. You had to sort of pass certain, uh, you had to clear certain bars. One of them was a standard test. Here in the United States, it would be the equivalent of the SAT. For us, it was called the college board exams. And the first year I was at that school, I got the highest score, not only of my class, but of everyone who was in the school at that time. I was super proud of myself. And so I got in the next year. And the next year, this kid from 10th grade, he takes the test like everyone in 10th grade did, so he could get in the next year, and he beats my score. He beats my score. And as soon as I heard that he had beaten my score, I told my friends, I guess I'll just have to take it again. The new high score prompted a challenge from me instead of celebration. There was nothing to compete for with him. I had already gotten in again. There was nothing left for me to clear. I needed a refocus. Think of how different our lives would be if the celebration quotient increased just a tiny bit in us and in those around us. Think of how different life would be if the celebration quotient was at 100. If we were able to freely celebrate the goodness and blessing that other people experience. Now, it might not be in every case. It might not be for every person. But might there be one or two people or one or two situations for you where celebration has not been the thought, has not been the instinct, 
when something good happens. There's a better story for you. There's a better story for you. There's a better story for you. Jesus is inviting you, as he invites me, to refocus. One of the groups that's in most need of refocus in this passage are the Pharisees. They too fail to celebrate, but that's not all they fail to do. That's not all they do. Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath, and that presents a problem for the Pharisees because it seems to violate some of their deeply held convictions, some of their deeply held beliefs of what it means to honor God, what's allowable, and what is good. And the passage illustrates that they are conflicted about this. They go back and forth a little bit about this. They're processing their dissonance. They argue about whether this is from God or whether it's not. But they become so convinced that they are right in what they believe that they conclude that Jesus must be a sinner. And either the healing is a sham or the healing doesn't come from God. Either the healing is a sham or it doesn't come from God. Here's what you need to know. Bringing sight to the blind is a sign that the Messiah has come. It's a sign that the Savior that they'd been waiting for had come. They knew this. This was in the scriptures that they studied. This was the one that they had been waiting for. Salvation has come and they miss it because they fail to refocus. They malign what doesn't fit into their box. Let me translate that to the present day. When those who don't agree with you become evil, it's time to refocus. Now let me say this, I believe there is evil in our world. I have no doubt of that, and I felt the effects of evil in our world. But we've become careless with that label. We've become careless in how we apply it and its implications. The bar this day has gotten very low for what it takes to be called evil. And once we put people in that box, once we put people in that category, we justify all sorts of things towards them. All sorts of attitudes, all sorts of behaviors. Friends, the second great commandment is to love our neighbor. The more people we put in the box of evil, the weaker our exercise of that love is. The harder it is to exercise that. And when that happens, we risk. We risk being part of the story God is telling. We risk being part of what God is doing. The Pharisees sure did. But there's more. In 1975, Kodak was at the top of their game. They were at the top of the U.S. photo industry, and the name of the game was film. Y'all remember that? The name of the game was printing pictures. In 1975, one of their engineers came to them. During his time at the job, he had come up with an invention. The invention was what became digital photography. Pictures you could view on a screen. Now, at that time, this meant TV sets. But imagine what it's become, right? That's where it was. But remember, the name of the game was film. The name of the game was Prince. And Kodak knew that game. Not only did Kodak know that game, they dominated that game. They had it figured out. They knew what the business was. And they were, con they were convinced that no one would ever want to see their pictures on a screen. Can you imagine that? that no one would ever want to see their pictures on a screen. They thought they knew it all when it came to this. And they were wrong. Now, they eventually made the switch to digital. They eventually bought in, but it was too late. They ended up filing 
for bankruptcy in 2012. One could say that their pride led them to miss what was coming. Friends, when our pride keeps us from growing, from growing and changing, it's time to refocus. It's time to refocus. It's time to refocus. Near the end of the passage, Jesus has an exchange with the Pharisees about blindness and about sight. And they are hostile and arrogant towards him. They are hostile and arrogant as he points out that they are missing what should be plain to them. He goes through the trouble of telling them, you're missing what should be plain to you. See, see what's there. And they are hostile and arrogant. They are so convinced that they know about God. They are so convinced that they've cracked the formula of what it means to please God. They are so convinced that they've cracked the formula of what it means to be the good life that they miss God in their midst. They miss the God who has come to be among them and they fail to grow in their understanding of the story he is telling and the one he's inviting them into. Sometimes we can become so convinced that we've figured out parts of our lives, that we've cracked the code, that we've figured out what what the formula is for success or happiness or a great family or honoring God or something else that we can miss the invitations from God to go deeper and further into his story of lasting goodness, of redemption, of love. We miss the learning. We miss the growth. We miss the refining. What we end up doing is we end up stuck in a story that's less than what we were made for. Could there be places where you've entrenched yourself, where you've sort of become convinced of something, where maybe what started to emerge is a bit of pride that's caused you to lose focus and maybe causing you to miss God's invitation for you today or the invitation God's been making over these last few weeks, months, sometimes even years. Maybe it's time for a refocus. At the core of the story we've been in today is a man who from birth was blind. He had been in need of a miraculous change. But he's also a man who's been unnoticed. One of the most heartbreaking parts of this passage is when the man first gets healed, his neighbors aren't convinced that they know who he is. His neighbors. His neighbors. The people who've been around him his whole life don't seem to recognize him. He's gone years being unseen. They've stopped seeing who he is. And one of the first things the passage says is that Jesus sees the man. Jesus sees the man. That's part of God's story. Part of God's story is that God sees us. This morning, I want you to hear that God sees you. God sees you. That's a core part of his story. Jesus heals the man. He intervenes in his life. God steps into our story. If you're here, God is stepping into your story. If you've been walking with God or have had sort of experiences with God or with people of God, God's been intervening into your story. God has been entering into the story. Jesus stepping into humanity is God entering into the story of humanity. God steps into our story. Can you see him there today? The man gets cast out of the synagogue. He gets cast out of his community. And Jesus doesn't leave him there. 
Jesus seeks him out. God meets us where we are. He seeks us out. In the story of God, no one gets left abandoned. God is seeking you out. Would you respond? And then when he meets him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. and In in fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. Jesus reveals himself to the man. He invites him into a refocused moment. Jesus has revealed himself to the world, to humanity, and to you and I as the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who is worth following, the one who invites us into a story, and the one whose story is worth entering into. He invites us to step into that story. He invites all of us into a refocused moment. So the invitation for today is to invite Jesus to show you where you might need a refocused moment. It might be in one of the things we were talking about. It might be in something else. But as I pray in just a moment, would you invite Jesus to show you where you might need to refocus so that you don't miss the story God is telling in your life, in the lives of those around you, and in our world? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you invite us into a refocus moment. Thank you that when we lose sight of what's important, when we turn our attentions to the wrong thing, for whatever reason that may be, you don't abandon us. You come after us. You engage with us. You invite us. You call us. You confront us if that's what we need. You gently shepherd us if that's what's required. But you invite us in. Lord, show me where I might need to refocus. I don't want to miss a single part of the story you're telling. Show us where we might need to refocus so that we can live into the story that we were meant to live into. The one of love, the one of goodness, the one of redemption, the one that comes when we follow you, the Savior and Lord of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.